Welcome to another Mercado Commodity Conversations podcast. In today's episode, we invite uh, Dwayne Duxon of Farm Tender uh, to come in and have a discussion. Uh, Dwayne is uh, is a pretty down to earth bloke. I've known him f- for for a number of years now, and we've we've quite regularly had good conversations. Just you know, putting the industry back in order and uh, and giving feedback to one another on on what we do as a business. At Mercado, we don't just provide online market analysis. That's what we're most known for. But we do do a lot of work when it comes to one-on-one consultancy and also project work with, with, with various businesses and uh, government stakeholders. Uh, in recent times, we've had more and more requests from, from clients about transferring money overseas. Uh, that may be, for instance, for buying equipment or, or buying inputs. And one of the companies that, that we've worked alongside to to put uh, clients together with has been the Western Union and most people will have heard of Western, Western Union as as being a, a money transfer service and and they, they provide our clients with, with well, pretty fast you know, and reliable money transfers and, and it's fairly convenient and what is interesting about this group is that uh, Western Union is actually looking to increase their services into the ag sector so they've been uh, they've been very helpful and they've provided the support to make today's podcast go ahead. So thanks for coming, Dwayne. Uh, what we'll do is we'll just have you introduce yourself and uh, let us know a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. Uh, Dwayne Duxon. Um, I run a business called Farm Tender, and we, we started this business about nine years ago, and it's sort of gone from zero to nearly 35,000 farmer members in that time, and we basically broke a hay grain machinery and livestock so it's a exciting business because we wake up every day and we never know what's going to happen and it's just developed from there and we can talk about that as we go through well Dwayne we've known each other for a couple of years and uh, one of the things I've never heard you call yourself is an ag tech but principally well you pretty much meet all the requirements of it but you've been around a bit longer than uh, than it's been fashionable to be an ag tech so I guess might be a good idea to have a little bit of a chat about the ag tech sphere and maybe what you think it takes you know, to become, I guess, a successful startup or at least transition from a startup to being you know, an ongoing enterprise. Yeah, well, ag's a, a different cat to a lot of other industries and, and what we've found, it's um, very relationship-based. Uh, farmers, you know, that's a target market, obviously, uh, so it's very relationship-based and you've got to win those guys over and, you know, with a flashy machine, you know, with it that does this and does that, you know, they're, they're just not going to take it up. But, you know, you've got to be, build strong relationships. You've got to, you've got to solve an issue um, and it all takes a lot of time and, that, and that's how our business has evolved. And I don't think we're an ag tech business, but I think, you know, down the track we can help ag tech companies connect up with these farmers that are, you know, hard nuts to cracker and, and got issues to, you know, things to solve. I guess that's, that's a good point you made there that you're not an ag tech business. I guess that's the thing. A lot of the industry gets focused on this, this hype of ag tech, but in reality, any business, whether they use technology or not, I guess is still focused on, on relationships and I guess, interestingly enough, I actually, when I was doing my master's, my research topic was on relationships between farmers and uh, businesses. And the key, 
the key factor that came out was that people wanted to deal with a human being. They didn't want to deal with somebody on the telephone. They wanted to actually see that person and understand that they are a real, real sort of person. So I guess you actually came from the farm as well. Dwayne, is that right? Yeah, correct, Andrew. We are sheep farmers at Manu in the East Wimmera. And uh, obviously they got to a point there where I thought, you know, there's a bit of a, a gap in the market that needs, needs um, a bit of help through the internet. And I got all excited about that and went off and, and started Farm Tender. Obviously, it was about five years in the making before we actually got went live. So you make a few mistakes and you go, you know, you do this and you do that. But eventually you come up with a... Um, some sort of um, starting model, I suppose, and then, uh, like everything, it evolves from there. So you go down one particular track and then all of a sudden it takes a different track because the customers actually tell you, you know, what what you need to do to make it successful. So so coming from, coming from that strong, I guess, agricultural background, you know, that would have helped you a lot more. And, and at the moment, you... You know, you've been involved, I guess, looking at a lot of this ag tech space that we that we've seen in the last sort of two or three years, where there's been a bit of an upsurge of the number of uh, new startups coming in, either from overseas or or straight out of the university into the industry. Some of them with ag backgrounds, some without. I guess how how much does that that disadvantage these businesses if they don't have that experience or know pre-existing relationships yeah i think it's it's vital um you know when we started or when i started this business on my own i made sure that you know we had to have those relationships and not necessarily drive up driveway types of relationships but on the phone and and farmers are happy to do it that way but as far as new sort of technology coming into ag when they've got no audience, it's it's very very difficult. And um, you know, farmers, you know, they've, they're very time poor. Um, you know, they're not going to waste money on things that don't suit them or they don't they're, they're never going to use. So they're very hard nuts to crack. And and you know, it's it's tough for these ag tech businesses. And I think some of them have got a false sense of security um, about you know how how they're going to crack the market and, and things like that. And definitely we've seen a bit of an attitude uh, change from a lot of the, the spruikers that go around to the, these ag tech um, conferences and things like that in the fact that they're really focused now on, you know, striking up relationships with the farmer. So, and yeah, I think that's, that's like a very pertinent point because I think that's the case that, you know, people call me a cynic, but I think a lot of farmers are cynical in that they're not going to believe the first thing that they hear from somebody that they don't know. And I guess that's where it comes down to of being, if you have some form of relationship or, or a person that they can actually ask questions to and feel that they get a, you know, a response back, which is, you know, not just a sales, a sales pattern. Mm. And I think, you know, we, I've, I've said in the past, I've wrote an article back probably two years ago about the ag tech and the potential of bubbles within it you know we see huge billions of dollars going into the industry but we haven't actually seen many of those businesses actually you know really able to support themselves without from their own income as opposed to just investor you know deposits so i guess I guess that comes down to, you know, what, what are the, you know, other than relationships, you know, how do you get a product to actually work in it? 
one of the things I've said in the past is that you know it can't just be something that you push on to a farmer. You know, it has to be either involving farmers to get their feedback. It has to be a bit of you know not just push, but a bit of push and pull. So, I guess my advice to these ag tech startups is really to get and you know not just assume that your product is it uses blockchain or it's the flashiest new thing it's it is really about getting the you know the ownership and the involvement of 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 some farm stakeholders and we have seen some successful ones like uh probably agriweb is a good one mm-hmm. where it's you know they have, they seem to have a very strong you know farmer focused you know involvement in 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 the in the development process you know how how have you i guess involved farmers in in that development process other than your own knowledge yeah, I suppose I look at ag tech and um, I see the ones that I see are successful or potentially have the best potential to be successful are you know, the ones that were started by farmers. So they know how farmers tick. They know they're in their in- industry. You know, Case in point would be, I think it's Doug Finch from Ag World who, who you know, started this um, software business and uh, involves farmers and agronomists. And he's taken that to the US and I spoke to him the other day about it and he said it's taken him six years to get going over there. And another one is uh, Swarm Farms, Andrew Bate with the robotic thing. Like they've done a lot of testing and they'll be successful one day, but it's all, you know, he's done it everything on his farm. So it's nuts and bolts and it's, you know, back to basics and, you know, break it and fix it and get it better and all that sort of stuff. And that's what it takes, but he's a farmer and he knows what he needs to do to actually make it commercial so it's very important those those are two examples and you mentioned agriweb and a couple of those guys uh, are farmer based or you know off farms and things like that so they they get a they get a head start and obviously if you're not from that sort of field you need to make um, contact with the people who are not necessarily farmers direct but you know even perhaps guys like ourselves who have relationships with farmers that we can you know trusted relationships that we can say to these guys you know we think this is a good product um, take a look I'm going to give you a bit of an anecdote mm-hmm. um, when I was 13 14 all I wanted to be was a mechanic so I did a placement or a work experience, we call it in Scotland, and uh, my old man didn't want me to become a mechanic. Mm-hmm. So he organised to send me to mechanic's yard where they fixed dump trucks for the tip or the mm-hmm. transfer station. After two weeks of working there, I realised that I would be a failure as a mechanic and it was never going to be my, uh, my forte in life to, to work on trucks or, or, or machinery. You, you had, I guess, a similar experience, and I think, you know, sometimes some of the most, you know, important learning experiences can actually come from our failures to an extent. And you, you've been pretty open about, you know, when you tried to enter into the U.S. market, mm-hmm. and you, and it didn't particularly work all that well. So you got anything sort of, I guess, learning points from that experience? Yeah. Well, you know. Having run this farm tender business, I think for about seven years or six or seven years, went to the point where I, I'd always been interested in America, and I just had an itch, uh, sorry, an itch to scratch, and so I went over there and just did a zigzagged from Chicago down to Dallas, sort of through the Midwest area, and just visiting farms, talking to people and things, just getting a feel for it. And I thought, you know, I can take my product from here 
over there and make it work. So I went back, um, came back to Australia and then went back and spent uh, 12 months over there trying to get it going. And, and you know, we built the website with my developer out of the Philippines and then once we had it built, um, we started to contact the farmers or I started to contact the farmers because it was just me at that point. And after two days I realised that, you know, it wasn't going to work just me calling the farmers because they had trouble understanding me for a start, so I had to employ Americans. Imagine what it's like for me coming from Scotland to Australia trying to talk to farmers. <laughs> yes, that's right. It's not easy, I can tell you. So, well, I, I lasted two days. You're still here. So, um, yeah, so I realised that I had to employ um, American people and obviously, you know, to start a business over there with different different rules and regulations to open bank accounts to, you know, things like buying a phone and things like that. They're quite different. And that, that was part of the learning experience for me. And then I had to employ American people. So after, a, you know, um, I think three or four hires and fires, I found a guy who um, who I thought would uh, do a really good job. And, you know, he did he did do a really good job. And we got up to about 6,000 members. But that's all we, did, we were doing is signing up members. We weren't actually, you know, we weren't actually trading or brokering anything, which was the idea. So, what what I found, you know, and we, we took we gave it a fair crack and we threw, threw a bit of money at it, but in the end, we just couldn't get any traction. And you know, as I said, um, I think in that article you read, like everything's the same but different over there. So it's the same as things we do here in Australia, the same machinery, but it's different terminology, different ways they do things. You know, like machinery sold through. Um, unreserved auctions and dealers who then obviously put it through a couple of select websites um there's no real farmer to farmer stuff which which is you know completely opposite to what we do here we do a lot of farmer to farmer stuff so it was it was a great learning curve for me and uh, you know i i I considered i failed at it but you know if i didn't do it i would have been more of a failure in my eyes so we gave it a crack i guess that's that's an interesting Interesting point of view, and it largely a lot of it was down to you know cultural differences, a large proportion of it. So, as we as we have this, I guess this cohort of new startups in Australia that are, you know, they may have a market in Australia for for a particular product, but we all know that the Australian market is relatively small compared to the rest of the world, and the US and Canada and the UK would be what we would consider easy targets for, for potential products. But even those those countries are going to be difficult to, to breach into um, and it will take either a fantastic product that no one can say that people can't say no to. But what happened it's going to be even harder if you were trying to crack Russia, Ukraine, you know, Romania or even, you know, Asian countries. So I guess that's the thing that we that's a good example of, of trying to enter, you know, what we consider a friendly market. Hmm. And and it's going to mean that a lot of these other companies that are starting up just now probably have to take, you know, take some lessons from, from what you've already experienced. Yeah, and I look at, just getting back to America, I look at um, an organisation called Farmer Business Network or FBN, and they've had, you know, something like 200 million in venture capital uh, thrown at them, and they're—I think they're only up to about eight thousand members in, with what they do. So they, you know, they're—you know—employed lots of people, lots of influential people, 
and even their traction's been much slower than what they thought it would be. Um, so it just proves that, you know, it's not, agriculture's not about that. It's about going back to what we said before. It's about building relationships and, and uh, you know, it's a slow route. It's definitely the slow route. There's no fast, fast route in agriculture. It's, um, you know, you've got to spend a lot of time. You've got to be reliable. You know, you've got to build those those relationships and build that trust um, and for an income it's going to be hard so I wonder you know we can I've seen some fantastic products out there mm-hmm. and then I sort of think to myself well how much of that is a success going to be dependent upon you know just because you've got a good product doesn't mean it's going to be successful you know we've seen it many times a lot of it's going to be marketing and and building up those contacts and, you know, we're seeing a lot more, I guess, conferences devoted to ag tech. But a lot of these tend to be, I guess, focused on the, in the city centre. So I think there's a conference in Sydney next year and there's been one recently in the Vocag mm-hmm. and, and you were at that conference. Yep. And what, I guess you got any viewpoints? I was at that conference as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I was lucky to score a free ticket. But you were at that conference. What was your, uh, your viewpoint on it? Uh, my ticket was paid for. Uh, no, I, I, I bought it, sorry. <laughs> um, but it was more like a rock concert to me. Um, you know, they had venture capital guys who were looking to invest in ag. They had um, stalls that were sort of, you know, relevant to farmers. I wouldn't say they were. Um, you know, selling, um, promoting products that were re- weren't relevant to farmers, I thought. Um, producers, there weren't actually many farmers there, and if there was five percent of farmers there, I'll, I'll go he. But yeah, it's it's ag tech is something that's very very trendy at the moment, um, and there's people you know outside the space wanting wanting to enter the space. But I, I think it's more a, I think ag tech will evolve from more so the food side of things, the food tech and that sort of stuff. I think it'll. Once the investment will go into the food, and then that investment will flow down to ag, and that's where that's where I think the synergy is. I think you know, food's a, a massive thing. You know, we hear it all the time, um, and the development in food and the changing in the way people are looking at food and their diets and things like that. I think that's where a lot of the technology is, and I think agriculture will fit in with that. So they'll become married at the hip, as such. But the investment and all that will go into the food side, and it'll 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 benefit the ag side of things. A bit like a kind of sorry, a bit like a kind of a triple trickle down of of the benefits mm-hmm. from the food. Yeah, and I guess you know we, we sort of see a, if we look at a lot of the big developments in you know production agriculture over the past twenty five thirty years. You know, cropping is a good example. We've seen things like the Harrington seed destructor. Mm-hmm. which was developed by, by a farmer. Uh, we saw a lot of developments like no-till, you know, largely weren't really developed from big industry or the big players. It was really developed from, you know, farmer groups and, and university research. So I guess maybe there will be a point where there will be, you know, a middle ground where, you know, the food industry, you know, starts, you know, funding a lot of the, uh, you know, the the ag inputs. So... Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more, and that's that's the sort of point I'm trying to get at is that a lot of investment will come from these food um, companies because you know they'll want to know where it comes from and things like that, and we've talked about that for a lot of years. But they'll they'll want 
you know they'll want farmers or you know far or the agricultural industry to, to develop more so they can they can tell the story or they can market better or they can get a you know take a percentage of the market off someone else so that's where i think the ag tech side of things in will come into play is is more through food and it'll filter down um, i think that's how it's how it's all going to work and in terms of you, you briefly mentioned about uh, venture capital money mm-hmm. In terms of what, what is your viewpoint on venture capital? You know, I guess it's a, it's very important for for a lot of startups to to get that that money in in order to fund their their ongoing activities. My viewpoint has always been: you try and get yourself making some money so that you don't actually necessarily have to have that venture capital. I don't know. If you, I don't know if you've been, or you might not want to comment on it. Have you ever? No, been I'm a, happy to comment. Have you ever been approached, you know, with, with by venture capital or investors looking to? To, to buy in effectively or do you find that and if you have do you find that their expectations for returns are you know are they in line with what we typically have in agriculture or is it you know are, do they have I guess unrealistic ex- expectations for the kind of returns that they would expect from the type of you know ag tech startups that we've got in the market yeah well we've virtually bootstrapped our business all the way through so like as as you you know, make a bit more revenue. You might employ another person, things like that. Seems to, and it's just grown like that. But initially, I think about year one or two, we did take some form of venture capital, um, and within one year, we actually you know bought them back out again because it just wasn't working. They did that, you know, they didn't understand what we're trying to do, and they didn't understand that you know it all takes time. They want their return quickly and things like that. So they didn't. So you know, I. I Obviously, you need some money from somewhere to to start these businesses, um, and you know venture capital can be a great part of that. But I, I would go down more so the the bootstrapping route and take take your time and build build that database. It's so important to build a database and then be reliable with what you do and and what you say is what you're going to do and things like that. I think they're they're the most important, but they're simple things. And what what I'm finding now with you know 35 our thousand farmer members is we never get complacent but we we still follow up each inquiry that comes in it's so important for us and it has been since day one and and now you know and this is not getting ahead of myself but i i i don't think someone can come in and replicate our business if they throw you know 10 million dollars at you know a, a new startup because we've built those relationships we've built that trust and that's the important thing with agriculture and i think that's 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 good that you built it up in that way, and I think when you start to I guess give equity away to mm. to external partners who don't, the key thing is if you're going to give it away, you have to give it to somebody who understands the yep. business and is on the same sort of wavelength, because you can have these, you can start to lose your independence, and you can start to have you know. Not just the independence, but also the control over over the business and also you know the destiny of that business. So I guess you know the startup in the initial years on any startup, whether you're a, a cafe, a hairdressers, or an ag tech startup, it's going to be difficult, and it's going to probably take you using your own your own funds to to try and get that across the line. But I think maintaining control is is extremely important, and I guess that's where if you've got a great idea. And you can build those relationships. It's going to work. 
So I guess that's where it comes down to. You probably want to question whether you actually use, you know, an ag tech accelerator that gives away part of your equity or venture capital, you know, if if you don't want to lose control. I'd, I'd, I'd go out and try and look, look for farmer investors and things like that, as you talked about before, someone who knows the industry or someone, you know, that has been involved in the industry all the way through. And, and just getting back to, like, us, um, we've deliberately not, tried to be too slick and too cute and things like that because you know we we send out our newsletter with a few spelling mistakes in it and you know i don't deliberately try and make spelling mistakes it just happens but people can you know keeps everything real and everything in agriculture has to be real it's just so important to keep it real and and um you know not get too slick or too cute which you can in other industries they that's that's what they require but not agriculture and i think and that's what we tend to see through, you know, agriculture for oh, hundreds of years has always been, it's always attracted snake oil mm. and it's always attracted people trying to sell stuff, you know, back in the 1930s, you know, potions to fix the uh, the, the, the poor crop in the, the Midwest of the US through the people who can divert the weather or, or mm. whatnot. And I think people see through that. They don't want to see some slick person. And I remember going to uh, another anecdote. I remember going to uh, a presentation evening with farmers in, in Western Australia. And there was a person who, would, who was coming there to present about oh, futures and options. And uh, they were from straight from Sydney with a pinstripe suit, a pair of nice uh, shiny shoes and, uh, and a tie on. And in, in the middle of a country town in, in Western Australia. And nobody listened to what he said mm. because he clearly couldn't relate to them. He was talking in, in technical jargon mm-hmm. and it just doesn't work. Made himself look like the smartest guy in the room, but no one wanted to listen to him. You've got to understand that, that industry. And, you know, we write the occasional spelling mistake, probably more so in my articles, mm-hmm. and, and it gets picked up on. But we're... Uh, you know, we're just human beings at the end of the day. Yeah, I agree. It's just so important in our industry to, to stay that way. So, but um, yeah, no, that's, I think that's a good point. Um, and something that, you know, we'd advise, you know, ag tech or people looking to come into the industry to just take a chill pill and, and um, you know, come down to a level that everyone can relate to. And that's not a that's not a criticism on farmers who are, you know, that's just the way they want to operate. They just want to, they just want to get the facts. They just want to get, you know, the real stuff. They don't want, they don't want the bullshit. Yeah, and I think we've also got to say that marketing is important, but some of the marketing we see is, is quite flash and marketing is fine if you've got a good product, but just don't oversell the benefits and I guess that's one of the things I want to say maybe not we're not I'm not saying it's snake oil uh, a lot of products but when you have to ensure that your expectations that the customer has are going to be realized so we don't want to receive products that are saying oh we can increase productivity by 100% when in reality that 100% is only under laboratory conditions if it's only going to produce a production increase of 5% on a real world application, just tell them it's a 5% increase. Because 
if you want your ag tech to be around for you know 10 20 30 years then people remember and and, and farmers you know have got generational memory mm. so they will remember what happened to the grandfather you know 60 years ago yeah exactly and you know we don't see those sort of productivity gains you know in in history in agriculture so you know to spruik those sort of things and like agriculture you know the nff have got this target of 100 billion by 2030 or something isn't it yep 100 billion by 2030 look that's a great target and i think it's achievable but you know i think the as i said before the food flow down to ag is where the growth is going to be and more so in the intensive farming you know that's where i think the growth in agriculture is going to be we'll still keep improving our productivity and and the way we do things and the way we adapt because you know farmers are the most innovative people you know they they make up their own mind how they're going to do things and they'll do it and they'll test it and you know they'll make mistakes and they'll get some really good results and all that sort of stuff but they'll you know they'll they'll determine how you know it's it's going to head which way it's going to head they they won't be told so that's an interesting thing i think is um work with them and and just try and you know solve any of their problems that they you know that they that they relay right well, we're coming up close to the end but mm-hmm. I, you just you just gave me an idea for a good question you know i've always believed in problem based mm-hmm. uh, or problem solving based products so products which solve an actual problem which mm-hmm. farmers have and you just mentioned that there that you know products have to you know solve a problem what's what's your top two ideas of problems that you think you know farmers face that, that could do with a solution oh look i think definitely farm labor is a huge issue and and probably another thing which is another topic for another day is you know the the communities and the demise in in rural communities and things like that so those are the two big issues we need to solve and you know the isolation in agriculture you know with the people involved in agriculture they're they're some of the big issues um obviously we're all more connected these days with the internet and phones and all that sort of stuff but uh those two issues you know whether it be through robotics or things like that i I think they'll come to the fore down the track um but you know those are the two issues that i think are the problem are two biggest problems in ag that need you know need need help well, I think we'll probably just wrap it up there, yep. uh, Duane. But thanks for taking the time to come in to sunny Ballarat and uh, having a chat with us. No, thanks, Andrew. Love Ballarat. Ripper spot. I hope you've enjoyed today's conversation with Duane. The idea behind this Commodity Conversations is really to, to open up a platform for people to have a way of expressing viewpoints which are not normally the mainstream. So we're not looking to get just the people who... You know, you might see it every second conference. So over the course of time, we'll be inviting more and more people on to to give their viewpoints. Again, hope you learned something. Hope you've uh, enjoyed getting a different viewpoint. I'd also again like to thank uh, the sponsors for this podcast, uh, Western Union, uh, for providing support to allow us to uh, continue with this podcast. So thanks very much. Uh, Remember, visit mercado.com.au for the highest quality analysis information in the agricultural markets. And also, if you haven't already, click subscribe and tell your friends about us.